A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Star Wars Film Fest, where the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David. And I'm John. And this is our coverage of the 1999 film Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing the movie's production details, plot, impact on the Star Wars universe, followed by some listener feedback. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of June and a peek at our coverage in July. A quick housekeeping note for early and ad-free access to every episode and exclusive content, visit us on patreon.com slash thelorehounds. If you're enjoying our content and want to give us a leg up, leave us a review and or rating on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help people find our podcast, even in the outer rim. Also, stick around to the end of the podcast and we'll have some updates about our Patreon. We love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and fan theories on air, so send us feedback for the next movie we're covering. Send emails to starwars at thelorehounds.com or head to our website, and there you can either use the voicemail feature or the contact form. You can also post the message on our Discord server, and we'll include some of those conversations as well. Link to the server in the show notes below. David. We've done a lot of Star Wars at this point. We have, and we've got more coming. Yep. So we started with Andor. Uh, I think that hooked us both back into the universe. It gave me, yes, it it revived my hope that something within the Star Wars uh, IP universe could actually be enjoyable again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Something I was entertained by. I was very entertained by it. Yeah, so you were you were an original trilogy boy. You were uh, of, of that generation. 77, lined up around the block, had the action figures and the comics and all that stuff. Very cool. And my dad showed me the original trilogy, but I grew up with the prequels. So I think right. I have a little bit more nostalgia for them than you, though I, I still so. recognize their flaws that we'll discuss today. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think both of us have sort of rekindled our love for the Star Wars universe. And so we discussed... In one of the Mandalorian episodes, wouldn't it be fun to go through the movies now that we're high on Star Wars, go through all the movies in chronological order and just sort of see where we're at with them, see where they fit into the broader Star Wars picture? 
And I think some of our fans were poking us with sharp pointed sticks as well, (laughs) (laughs) saying, hey, you guys should do this. And I think, yeah, I think not only did Andor um, light the fire, but the Mandalorian was feeding a lot of kindling into that fire, a lot of burnable material. And so, yeah, um, I was never, I, I bounced off the animated series a couple of times just because I didn't have any guides or understanding to the to what was being seen. But now that they're bringing the animated series into the live action and we're getting all of this stuff mixing, uh, I think it's, um, for me, I'm really interested in going back and doing this chronology so that I can understand better what we're going to be seeing in the future when we go into Ahsoka or back to the Acolyte or all of these things. and. Yeah, this canon of films is really important, no matter the the personal enjoyment or the the pluses or minuses of the plot, how they worked out, any of that kind of stuff. There's just important material in these, and I'm really looking forward to sifting out and finding those nuggets and then having that appreciation for the deeper lore. Very cool. I think that's a great way to frame it. Yeah. So now that you've watched the movie, David, and you watched it live on our Discord server, which we're doing these uh, screenings every month, thanks to you as the projectionist. We're going to be doing a screening every month of one of these Star Wars films, as well as uh, our Patreon-selected Second Breakfast film. Uh, That's every month and exclusively for patrons, but it should be a fun time. You know, we're there having uh, text chats in the the Discord chat, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you just watched this for the first time in how long? Years and years and years. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I actually watched it. Okay. And what were your thoughts? Uh, it was an interesting experience this time because I had a, because like I was, you know, just contextualizing, I feel like I have this analytical framework where I can use that to carry myself through when there are difficult parts of the film from just a structural filmmaking basic put some characters on, yep. uh, on screen with yep. some plots and make it make sense and uh and and have it be entertaining and not uh weirdly racist or <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. oddly inappropriate or it's okay we can call it out <laughs> yeah exactly uh you know all of all of these things uh so i was able to ride easy through it pay attention to some of the interesting parts things that i had forgotten um start to see some of the origins of of certain things um it certainly is a dated film visually, you know, compared to what we have now. I mean, it is what it was. They they redid, you know, the original 77 movie a number of times, whatnot. Okay, that's all fine. I'm not too worried about that stuff. Um, so I really did have to put on my historian goggles or archaeology goggles, whatever, however you want to, to, to phrase yep. that, and then just deal with the film from that standpoint. That said, there certainly are things in that film that triggered me or I had to hold my nose and and mm-hmm. just go, wow, that that was bad. <laughs> that yeah. was that was not great. Um, and that's fine. I could just take it. And I think this is the first time I've been able to watch the whole film end to end, maybe from the 
first time I saw it, I probably saw it in the theater. I can't quite remember um, where, yeah, I might've seen it on uh, playback at some point and, and just bounced out of it or watched a some small part of it. Uh, but to actually watch it from, you know, opening credits to ending credits, it's, it's right. been a long time. So, yeah, I watched this probably twice in the last year. Uh-huh. Because I was hot on the prequel era with the Clone Wars. And I do have some nostalgia for this. Now, it is the hardest Star Wars movie to get through, in my opinion. <laughs> I generally have to watch it in pieces. Yeah. I generally can't sit through it in one sitting because it is so, first of all, dense mm-hmm. with new lore. Right. And politics and taxes, because why not start your trilogy off with taxes? (laughs) And because of what you're saying is there's a lot of really problematic stuff that let's not call it dated. It was it was kind of racist then, you know, like it was. Yeah, sure. It would have been racist under the standards there. And I think I think that was was called out at the time. Yeah, I wasn't even talking about the datedness of. No, I know. I'm not saying you are production wise and stuff. Right. But when I'm searching for a word, you know, I I think we we often and not you, but like we often call things dated. But even this is like in 99, this was still unacceptable as a general consensus. Right. And yeah, George Lucas needed a director and he needed a, a screenwriter. The bones of the trilogy are set up really well here, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that the overarching ideas of this corrupt republic that is so stagnant and so unable to meet the needs of its citizens is susceptible to a growing evil of this sort of, I'm going to bring back glory to the republic vibe, Mm -hmm. you know? Make the republic great again. (laughs) Right, exactly. Make the Republic great again. I think that George Lucas had his finger on the pulse of American politics, as he did in 77 when he's critiquing the Vietnam War with Star Wars. And he's great at that stuff, and he's great at the big picture, and he just needed someone to say, that line doesn't work, or let's rework this character to not have a subtly, a, a sort of Asian accent. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it had good bones. It wasn't executed well. And I think that there are good things that you can pull out of it. And I hope that people will go give the Clone Wars a chance, give the other movies a chance and sort of let this movie be what it is. Watch it a couple times, get it in your head and then enjoy the rest of the story. <laughs> it was interesting, even watching this, there's, there were times where that was fine and there were, you know, I think it's like the the first, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes, somewhere around there, it's just painful. Yes. Uh, and I remember certain scenes where I remember in the movie theater where I just checked out. It's like yeah. a planet core that you can drive a boat through and yeah, all it was of this, silly. this it was stuff silly. and this underground city and this pond and whatnot. Um that's neither here nor there. The uh, just the just some really bad setup and really bad premises. And then there's some story stuff that's going on. Okay, there's politics, there's trade negotiations, right? There's slavery, there's uh, Jedi power structure, um, and these kinds of things that are mildly interesting and right. and uh, uh, give you a sense of. 
what else is going on in the world. And then it gets bad again, <laughs> you know, when they're doing the the droid battle army. So it's. I think if you if you chop the beginning and the end off of this, there's an interest. There's a passable storyline in. in yes, the there is, and the world building itself is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's it's, just so much. There's so much density that is being yeah. uh, presented here. It's really the execution of the dialogue and of the acting choices that I think were the fault of George Lucas. I don't. I don't want to blame the actors. Sure. Yeah. Because I yeah, really yeah, do no. think that he. Direction. Directed them to act like this and with with lines written like this and yeah. correct. correct. Have you seen any of the outtakes ever from seventy seven the seventy seven movie? Like no, I haven't. With Mark Hamill and I forget the um, actor who plays Biggs, but they meet up at this local cantina thing and there's a whole conversation there. It's horrible. It's really bad. Oh, bad. oh wow. And I think you know. I am not enough of a Star Wars behind the scenes historian to keep track of all the details. So I don't want to speak out of turn because I know there's a lot of people that track this stuff and it's very important to it. But uh, my my understanding in my head is that George Lucas had his first wife who was a script editor on this, I think it was. And then with Empire Strikes Back, he had a, t- you know, a whole other director Mm-hmm. you know, working on it. And so the movies that are good, as you were saying, are the ones where Lucas is working, be it enforced collaboration or, sure. or from a practical collaboration with people who have really strong skills in certain areas. And then left to his own devices, his own worst instincts come into play and he just kind of he doesn't have any constraints, any creative constraints, or anybody to balance him in the for in the ways of the force. Um, so, and it really shows in this movie. Yeah, I think with the rise of the showrunner, we have been almost putting people in a box mm-hmm. and saying a good show has a person at the helm who is wearing all the hats and who is shepherding it to its end. But I think that we may have lost part of the conversation, which is movies, good movies are made by teams. Yeah. And good movies are made by people who are talented doing what they're talented at and then letting other people help them where they're not mm-hmm. as talented and and as practice. It's not just talent, you know, practice and experience. And George Lucas really needed to allow people to make up for his shortcomings. He mm-hmm. does a lot right. He's a great visionary. He's a great world builder. He's a great, you know, creator of these wild planets and creatures and whatnot. But he just doesn't know how to write a script or direct actors. And that's okay. Right. He doesn't right. need to, right? He's George freaking Lucas. Just right. somebody should work with him. Uh, right. I have I have details on that. I'm gonna move us into production background. Okay. Now. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, we can keep the conversation rolling forward like that. Exactly. So yeah. Ron Howard in 2015 apparently said. That he, Steven Spielberg, and Rob Zemeckis, who I didn't know mm-hmm. this, but apparently directed Back to the Future. Right. Uh, he, George Lucas asked all three of them separately to direct the movie. All three declined and said, no, you should do it. Uh-huh. And now I blame Ron Howard for <laughs> the prequel trilogy <laughs> and its flaws. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, 
who would not say yes to Star Wars? Like, I know it's a big task, but come mm-hmm. on, guys. You mm-hmm. should have said yes. Uh, George Lucas, I'm going to say, toyed with the idea of the prequels for a long time. You know, in the 70s, in the 80s, he was like, ah, do I do a sequel trilogy? Do I maybe go for a prequel? And I think he sort of lost interest in doing Star Wars for a while. But the Star Wars EU grew with novels and comics. Yeah. And throughout all that time, there was this thing hanging over it called the Clone Wars, Mm -hmm. which was this offhand line by Obi-Wan Kenobi in the 77 film. Like, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. Well, it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, in in Princess Leia. You fought with my father. Oh, right, yes. Recording, yeah, you fought with my father in the Clone Wars. General Kenobi. Right. What? And I remember as a kid, that world building that is delivered in that such tight dialogue and and great ex- exposition and setup all this right. stuff at the same time wait this dude's a general wait there's a thing called the clone wars yeah like what the heck is that tell me more put it in my veins like you know pour it down my my you know my mouth i'm a kid i'm just give this stuff to me right right yeah so i think the idea was Let's tell all the stories in between and maybe after the original trilogy, Mm -hmm. but let's leave it to George to tell the story of the Clone Wars because that was his idea. That's his vision. He might, you know, go do that era eventually. And so I think people just sort of left that alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was what this is, is becoming is, is George Lucas finally decides to tell the story that Obi-Wan and Leia referenced in the original trilogy. And I think that's that's a pretty cool idea. You know, right. I think uh, people wanted to know. And are you happy you found out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it also some of the case that he wanted to explore this iconic bad guy character? Yeah. Who is so synony- you know, I don't know, synonymous is not the, what I'm trying to drive at. Identifiable and has become such a... Uh, uh, a, a critical part of uh, common culture. I am your father. Yeah, yeah. All these things, boom, right? Like we, we, we have um, such intimate connection when you bring those sounds or those words forth in a conversation. Sure. Yeah. And I, and, and to then tell the origin story of that guy is also a very potent thing. Yeah, it is. So, you know, and the idea of how love, how Anakin's love and his overabundance of love led to his downfall. That's an or interesting story. That is a really interesting the story. The fear of loss of love. The fear of loss of love. All of it. Like, I mean, know? I'm just saying the, yeah. the whole thing. I'm just using That's that as the a question. question. Exactly. If he Brilliant. never had to fear the consequences of his love, would he ever have gone to the dark side? Great questions for a filmmaker to be asking. Exactly. Really fascinating, deep stuff to, to, to dig into. Yeah. So, right. yeah. Thematically, it's material. Great. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think Obi-Wan was actually originally going to be the protagonist. I think he okay. shifted that over time mm-hmm. uh, to focus on Anakin because that question is so interesting. Right? right. I wonder if it would have been better to focus on Obi-Wan, though, and have Anakin have a little bit less screen time to keep him a little more mysterious. Mm. I don't yeah, know. It's hard to say. It's hard. It's so because we have so much uh, we're in front of us already about Phantom Menace. So it's right. Exactly. Hard to restructure that story in that way. So in the 1990s, George Lucas says, all right, CGI technology is where I want it to be to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And he really pushes CGI to its limits. In right. There was stuff that they like they had to re- they had to invent some lenses or something like whole right. processes. Yeah. 
and they have the first fully CGI generated character, mm. Jar Jar Binks, who was originally and was always played by Ahmed Best, but he was originally a suit with Ahmed Best in it. Okay. And they changed Practical. it partway through production mm-hmm. to him being a CGI character. Uh, Jar Jar Binks, pro or con of the, <laughs> of the prequel <laughs> series? Uh, um, just to, to circle back, so I guess Roger Rabbit was before this. Okay. That was an an- so I don't know what the difference is in terms of the animation versus the CGI. So that's Yeah, a- I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe it's uh was was that hand drawn? Is that what it is? That's a good question. I that's something I'm not quite sure of. That, that's something that's happened for a while is drawing over right. a live action film. I'm sure but, some of our faithful listeners would like to send in some feedback on the this question of who framed Robert, Roger Rabbit versus right. CGI Jar Jar Banks. Uh, I'm sure the yeah. answers are out there on the internet. So um, yeah. that said, back to your question with Jar Jar Banks. You know, having um, understanding Ahmad Best and and even. Um, uh, uh, Christian Hayden's and Hayden, Hayden, Hayden Christensen, Hayden Christensen. Thank you. Uh, Hayden Christensen, their journeys as people and the, the vile and just horrific. Mm-hmm. And Jake uh, Lloyd, let's not forget. Uh, um, plays Jake Anakin Lloyd. in this. Okay. Movie. Right. Yeah. And Jake Lloyd. Yeah. Right. Um, just all that, that vile toxic, I, I don't even call it fandom, just that toxicity. Um, it's hard for me to separate out because I, I want to make sure that we honor them as the actors and they were given direction and lines and these kinds of things. Exactly. But at the same time, the conceptualization of the character and the purpose of the character and what Jar Jar Binks was meant to inform us of and, and do for us functionally in the films, that's, that's the bitter pill there. That's the hard part to swallow. As a character in the film and what he did i it for me um the cgi is pretty good you know for mm-hmm. for 1999 i mean i w- watching it i it wasn't that horrible uh and it it seemed to work well enough i i my verisimilitude wasn't that broken by uh all of the cgi it's dated you select it don't um so yeah i I have a real mixed feelings um and even another layer of it is you know who is jar jar appealing to and what was he going to be used for out of film and in marketing stuff Mm -hmm. and so there's a whole lot of complex layers there that just really make it for an awful uh, character <laughs> and 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 painful to watch. And you have these two very serious characters with uh, Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan, and they're on a serious mission. And then you have this floppy-eared, lanky character right. just being entirely ridiculous. Uh, Are you aware of the Darth Jar Jar theory? No. The Darth Jar Jar theory goes that George Lucas had originally intended for Jar Jar to be a Sith Lord working with Sidious. Okay. And that after the backlash to the first film, he backtracked and made him a comic relief character for good. So the first film, 
his secret plot was that Jar Jar was a, or I don't understand how. how did Basically, that when he gets cozy up with um, Sidious with Palpatine at the end, of, towards the end of the first film, and further into you know the prequels, uh-huh. I, people think that George Lucas was setting up Jar Jar to, to oh be to become to, to, to become replace Darth Maul. Got it. Okay, got it. And then I be involved it. in Sidious's plot secretly. Okay. And yeah, uh, I kind of buy it. I kind of think that that's where <laughs> he was going with it. Oh, and then he had so to backtrack, weird. which made him even more absurd because he okay. was just there for no reason. Right. Well, I, yeah. And I always thought that he got so much flack that he just dialed him down and out. So as yeah, to, well, to bury the issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could always watch the Jar Jar gets late arc of Clone Wars. That's a real <laughs> arc. That's what people okay. call it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm trying to work my way through Rebels right now. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty and... good arc, actually. I got to say, the Jar Jar okay. gets late arc is pretty good. Um, yeah, Jar Jar, not not a great character. We love Ahmed Bess. He came back in The Mandalorian as Kaloran. Uh, I think Bex is his last name. I yeah. Could be wrong. Right. But, uh, you know, Kaloran a Jedi Bex. master now. He gets to yeah. finally, re- you know, be be a cool character in Star Wars. So good for Ahmed Best. We love him. We're sorry that the fandom was being to you. Right, and I want to, and I want to see more of him. I, yes, I, it was a. Uh, I believe that that was the um, Carl Weathers directed episode, and so that was awesome for Carl Weathers to bring him up and in. Uh, I, I just love yeah. that, and and he had great physical presence, and just seemed like a lot going on. I really hope they can figure out how to bring him uh, actively into the storylines in the future. Absolutely. Uh, so Anakin also was supposed to be 12 originally, but George Lucas aged him down to nine uh-huh. because he wanted to play up the trauma of being separated from his mother. Right. That would make sense for a nine-year-old at that point. Yeah. And then there's, um, I think it would, it, my sensibility would be that the arc of Anakin going to you know his ultimate we know us knowing that his ultimate doom is is uh to become darth vader to start out as this innocent a sweet boy mm-hmm. who's just yeah. very giving and creative and and uh uh full of life and excited to go do stuff and really wants to take care of the people that he loves and all of those things um a little harder at 12 than it is at 9 but obviously yeah. a little bit yeah. more inappropriate to be uh, uh having uh, i believe uh Padme was supposed to be around 14 yeah it's that whole thing is weird that mm. whole thing is weird but we can get to that a little later right um did you like the i don't know if you saw it i'm sure you did but the poster of uh Jake Lloyd's Anakin right standing the, there the, in the desert mm-hmm. of Tatooine with Darth Vader as a shadow and there are a couple of times when I was doing the rewatch the other day, I had that thought of, you know, when Anakin's going through uh, yeah. Archway or something, I was like, oh, is the shadow, you know, I actually went to look for the shadow. <laughs> no, to no, see it. it's it is a, a fun great, poster gimmick, but yeah. It's a totally great poster gimmick and I mean, a really a great visual. And yeah, you know, going back to what we were saying before, it's a compelling storyline. Right, right. I think um, I have thoughts on him being nine. I think that they could have just said that 12 was too old Mm -hmm. for being a Jedi and still reject him. Like they, I don't think that they needed the Jedi to be taken as early as they are in general. Mm -hmm. I think that was a choice. 
to play up, you know, him being nine is too old. But also, I just think that it would have been a little better, uh, like you said, for Padme's chem- chemistry and for the general like, hey, let's see this kid in action. Let's see a kid who can, you know, he who's a little bit more aware and can pilot yeah. a ship without seeming as doofy. Right. Because it is a, a little bit ridiculous, um, the accidental stuff that he gets up to. Yes, it uh, is. It uh, is. And we have feedback on less that. Believable. Yeah. yeah. So I think I would, yeah, I think I could offer some critique there and say, you could have still done it at 12 or 13. The love story would have been a little bit more believable because the first awareness that he has of the opposite sex is you know with Padme right. and it's and a, it it's happens an at the same time he loses his mother. Boom, boom! Like there's trauma right there, baby. You don't right. have trauma to, bonding. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You don't have to uh, worry about going back to nine years old. Um, we could still, you could still show us that he could have still been. I would have believed even more him trying to take care of Shmi or. Um, uh, uh, who is the the uh, I forget the name of the the little flying guy Watto. slave owner Watto? Uh, you know, trying to to uh, uh, get out from under Watto's you know control and uh, all these other things. If he had been older, right? Exactly. But a, this little nine year old, you don't kid, get it when you're nine as yeah, much. No, I mean yeah. I've got a seven going on eight year old, and we're watching the development of some of these things, and it it comes. And sure, argument on the counter is, well, he's strong with the force. So, you know, there's there's more going on there. But I still think it would have been better if he had been a little bit yeah. older. I, yeah. I, 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 Speaking of Anakin, over 3,000 actors auditioned to be What? 3,000. 3, there's a Good YouTube video Lord. I can link that shows the casting process. It oh. is insane. 3,000 people wanted to be Jake Lloyd who got harassed for the rest of his life. Oh, man. Crazy. Well, yeah, why wouldn't you? You would have thought that that I know. would have been a golden ticket right there. Yeah. Um, uh, Ray Park, by the way, uh, who plays Darth Maul, he was originally part of the stunt crew. Right, I knew that. And, and uh, he impressed George Lucas so much doing one of the demos that they were like, that's our Maul. You know, it's like the producers. That's our Hitler. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I remember hearing that in the pre and post press stuff about Maul and the lightsaber duel and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you know, fair enough. I mean, uh, Harrison Ford was a carpenter. You know, uh, all these kinds of things. I think didn't they do a pretty big exhaustive search for Mark Hamill and? Um, oh dear Lord, my memory is failing. Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. We maybe we have to do a deep dive on that when we get to the original trilogy. Yeah, there's a ton of behind the scenes documentaries and things like that. It's hard yeah. to cram it all into our brains. But yeah, I believe that um, that uh, Lucas did extensive casting as well nice. for that stuff. So yeah, here's a fun one as our last tidbit. Before Samuel L. Jackson took the role of Mace Windu. Tupac was considered to play Mace Windu. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? I don't know it? how to process that. <laughs> what I is that about? about that. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, there, there's also this tidbit about Samuel L. Jackson where he said, if you're going to make me a Jedi, I want a purple lightsaber. So they changed the lore to give him a purple lightsaber. <laughs> that's funny. 
Yeah. What's uh, Samuel Jackson's filmography here? Well, he you got him in Secret Invasion. He's he's yeah. doing his whole his whole uh, leading leading man bit now. So we've got ninety nine is Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. So he had where is boy? He had a long run prior to that. Been in a lot more better blues. Uh, obviously, do the right thing. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, true romance. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction was '94, so that was really when I remember going. Oh, Samuel L. Jackson, right? Yeah. You know, I've seen yeah, him around a, a bit. Claimed and fame. Boom. And so, yeah, this is so he's really on a high coming out of 94 into 99. So, yeah. Yep. God, his filmography is insane. It's taking me forever to scroll through it on the well, Wikipedia page. You'll have some time to scroll through it because we are taking a break. It sounds good. And we're back. David, it's time to get into the main plot of The Phantom Menace. Okay. Who do you think The Phantom Menace is in the end? That's a good question. There's a right answer because George Lucas said, but you oh, can okay. speculate anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it would be Palpy, isn't it? It uh, is Palpatine. Is it ultimately yep. is Palpatine? Palpatine? Yep. Sheev Palpatine, our favorite. And you know what I had forgotten? And, uh, you know, uh, don't at me, but I forgot that he was a senator from Naboo. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Right. A lowly senator. senator. Yeah. Because in all of the animated stuff and everything that we've been dealing with, he's been the chancellor. And uh, and I knew that he had wormed his way in there, but I had uh, forgotten the detail that he was actually from the representative of Naboo. Yeah, and there's there's some Clone Wars arcs where he returns to Naboo for certain like political things. So he, they they call back to it from time to time in the animated series, but in the movies they basically it's lip service that he was from Naboo. Right, right. Um, a lot happens with Naboo. I mean, the Gungans, the the other Naboo inhabitants, and uh, the fact that it's Palpy right. is their senator. So yeah, I, again, these certain planets play these pivotal roles throughout the. Um, throughout the, the the arc of the universe. Yeah, they do. And uh, we, we're back on tattooing. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> can't get away from it. So let's get started. I have this broken up into four parts. So let's talk okay. about each one. In 32 BBY, and I'll remind listeners, if you don't know, BBY refers to the chronology of the Star Wars universe. It stands for Before the Battle of Yavin. The Battle of Yavin is the battle where the Death Star blows up in A New Hope in the original Star Wars movie. So here we are 32 years before the original trilogy within the universe. They built the Death Star really fast. They sure did. (laughs) So in 32 BBY, the Trade Federation has blockaded Naboo in a tax protest under the instruction of the Sith Lord, Darth Sidious. Two Jedi, Qui-Gon Jinn and his apprentice, Obi-Wan Kenobi, unsuccessfully attempt to broker a resolution. Jar Jar Binks, a Gungan, helps the Jedi tunnel through the planet's core and reach Queen Amidala. 
Escaping the Trade Federation's battle droid army on Naboo, the group's ship is damaged, leaving them stranded on Tatooine. Yeah. Tough. <laughs> a this lot the there, tough, huh? Yes, a lot there, and a uh, really tough part of the movie to watch. Some critical setup, flaw stuff. I think I really started to hard check out uh, when they went underwater, and then there's this Gungan city, and then they went through the planet core. The Gungan city looks terrible. And I just the fact that this pond leads to this massively massive deep underground ocean place, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I know we have uh, starfighters flying around in vacuum like they're dogfighting over the you know the shores of England in World War II. Okay, fine, you know we can have some you know some suspension of disbelief here, but this is it really just broke me. The uh, very okay. very quickly okay. when I when I was in the theater, and I, I from the trade representative accents going wait, wait did he did they just sound like we think that they sounded yes. oh my lord yes they are and, Asian stereotypes and yes. it went hard below down from there. Um, I one thing I still don't understand is why I I, I understand that Palpy's organizing a crisis so that he can um, manufacture the vote of no confidence so that he can step in. This is all his, his big plan. Mm -hmm. But what was it about Naboo that the trade federation, what was the value of Naboo? What were they exporting or trading or why did they, why, why was it a place that they could do this why, or would want to do this? Um, what was the strategic advantage? Good question. I'm not totally sure, but I'll speculate, and people will tell me that I'm wrong. But okay. that's fine. <laughs> Had the um, whole, whole internet of people to tell you if you're right or you're wrong. I know. Usually they don't tell you if you're right. They usually tell you if you're wrong. I know. But that's okay. Feel free. Write in. Star Wars at the lorehounds.com. Or go to our Discord server. But anyway, um, I think this is a tax protest in, in the sense that I think they're trying to get people to pay more taxes to them. Uh huh. Instead of the Republic, that might be. I don't know. I. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut all this. I don't want to speculate here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is over. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone can write in with some of the details of why exactly they needed Naboo. I'm not totally sure. Um, I know that you know a lot of it is Sidious is directing them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, we know that's that's fine. I, I right. can totally buy the, the setup and the... Yeah. He's trying to create an inciting incident so that he can trigger this no-confidence no vote. Yeah. That's all cool. I get all that. Um, and I don't have to have an answer for why the Trade Federation was, but it was it was just a head-scratcher. Yeah. That was you know, the, the Trade Federation throughout the Clone Wars, I think almost through the whole thing, tries to maintain this, like, we're part of the Republic and not the Separatists, but we're funding the Separatists and they have our battle droids and it's it's a really like we're don't look over here we're not doing anything kind of organization and i think at this point sidious is already working with dooku to form the separatists uh and and getting the trade federation to start testing out this droid army getting them to start attacking one of the leaders in the senate because naboo is you know a, a very strong leading planet in the senate right mm-hmm I think that this is him just sort of fomenting disorder, fomenting distrust with the government and starting to sow divisions between the Trade Federation and the Republic. Sure. Yeah. 
and that all that all tracks in terms of the grand plot. So right, yeah, and and it is there is a lot of um, world building, a lot of universal setup stuff that is very important later on in these horribly written scenes. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's very yeah the the idea that uh, here's this huge galactic federation, and well. The, these guys are saying this thing, but then the who they're accusing are denying it. Nobody really knows, so we need to send some eyes there to see it. Uh, so we send these Jedi. You know, the the galaxy is a big place, and to you know validate what's actually going on in the world and in in sort of in a post fact galaxy. You know, oh, we're not really doing that, but when they really are. Right. That's an interesting thing, just that shows you how big the galaxy is and how hard it is for people to uh, right. understand what's at play. Yeah. Uh, and and I know it comes later, but to, to see the Senate and see how big the Senate is, that's yeah. a real eye open moment. That and, and even on Tatooine, which we'll get to next, they can't even stop slavery where it's right. within the Republic. Like this Republic is too big to function. I think right. that is made very clear very quickly. Right. And even the, and, the Empire later, you know, you think about mm-hmm. how hard it was for the Empire to find Luke in the Outer Rim. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they didn't know he existed, but still, or find Obi-Wan in the Outer Rim. I think really the the point is this Republic and no entity could rule a galaxy this big under, you know, an iron fist. Yeah, v- v- very difficult. And and that is implied in a lot of what goes on in these uh, early scenes. Right. So. Right. Another head scratcher for me was the Gungans versus, versus the Naboo, the other Naboo residents. I don't know. What do we call them? That Nab- Nabo- Nabooans? I think. Nabooans. Um, that these two species are living on this planet. Uh that always seemed to me to be a strange setup. Nabooleans. I just looked Nibulians. it up. Nabooleans. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so uh, apparently the Nabooleans, which I, I thought this was the case, but this confirms it on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Uh, they are colonists. And, the, uh, and okay. the Gungans are the natives of the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Which and makes so, a lot of sense why... Right. Um, why there's a lot of conflict here because the Nabooleans invaded, basically. I want to uh, just jump back to this idea of this big galaxy. There's that great uh, quote by Leia when she's being confronted by Tarkin on the Death Star. And she says, the more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. Um, yep. And this idea that it's a big place and it's really hard to govern. And the the more you try to tighten down control... The, the looser, you know, things are going to uh, occur, the harder it is going to be for you to do that. Right. Right. Well, let's go to Tatooine before we get too far off track. Actually, you know what? I have one more question for you. Mm. What do you think of the design of Queen Amidala's dress? Uh, I was amazed during the rewatch how many costumes they went through and, mm-hmm. and all of the different styles. Um, it was funny to know that you know she had her double and so i was never fooled yeah. or in the movie yeah. though they tried to do that the there's one scene even later where she like walks out in this one crazy big dress and then turns around and then walks back off screen again and that's the only time you <laughs> see that costume um 
but the visuals were of her dress that I think is a triumph. That is a great success. I love the the makeup and the red little line on yeah, the lips yeah. and the the big headdress. I think all of that stuff was fun and interesting. It just was was it tonally in balance with the CGI nature of it? I don't know. It was yeah. I mean it's an iconic look, right? Yeah, I mean people sure. still hearken back to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I just saw Natalie Portman just got asked, "Would you come back to Star Wars?" She's like, "Yeah, nobody's calling." <laughs> what a shame. What a shame yeah. because I think Padme is a character who was done dirty. Um, doesn't she and she she has a bunch to do in the uh animated series, right? Yeah, she it, does. Yeah, she's heavily involved in the Clone Wars. She even Right. She goes rogue a bunch of times. You know, right. she's got to go do a do a weird former queen investigation, senator investigation uh into some crime organization or whatnot. Do we know where the visual inspiration of her her big first uh dress is there with that the hair and the the sort of the vertical pieces? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that's a good that's a good uh thing for somebody to write into for next time. Yeah, it feels very um Asian inspired in some ways. I mean, it's a really like a grand empire kind of stuff. It's it's visually stunning. Yeah, it is. It is. And even in like the video games, they always get this right. It's it's just it's a look that is so unique. And I don't mm. think anyone's ever done something like this in any right. show that I've seen or any movie that I've seen. Uh, so let's go on to Tatooine uh, on Tatooine. The Jedi meet Anakin Skywalker, a nine year old boy with the highest midichlorian count ever recorded. We learn that midichlorians are microorganisms that live in the blood of force sensitive individuals and allow them to interact with the Force. He and his mother are slaves belonging to a junk dealer named Watto. After Watto refuses to accept Republic credits for ship repairs, Qui-Gon makes a bet with him. If Anakin wins the, the pod race, he will be freed and go with Qui-Gon, and Watto will give Qui-Gon the repair parts. Anakin wins the pod race, and with his mother's blessing, goes with Qui-Gon to become a Jedi. However, just before boarding, Qui-Gon is attacked and escapes the Sith Lord Darth Maul. Again, a lot, lot happening here. Um, yeah. I, uh, it's again, it's hard. I, you know, not to just uh, deal with the, the 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 acting direction and and the plot uh, awkwardness. Um, I. I one thing I really that really bothered me in this film was the introduction of R two D two and C three PO. Okay, and how they go Agreed. back all the way to the the roots, um, and then what I, I don't know how to 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 then reintegrate them into the seventy seven moving movie going forward and and all of that stuff. I, I felt it was very cynical and was a very toy genics mm-hmm. set of decisions or, and or. Uh, uh, trying trying to intentionally create the linkages between the generations. Oh, look, they've been around the yeah. whole time. Uh, I yeah, really, you know, it really I, bothered. I would have liked R two because I think that R two has always had this persona as this like droid who's been around and seen it all mm-hmm. and is kind of wise but also kind of an asshole. Right. And <laughs> I just think that a little that, jerk. Yeah. He he says like wise and cranky old man to me, mm-hmm. and I think that that could work with the prequels. C three PO 
is largely comic relief in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just don't think we needed him in the prequels, especially when you already had Jar Jar. You know, you got two people filling the role of comic relief. It's it's too much. And then we have little Annie who's, who's you know, oh, let me press this button and, and yeah. what does it do? Oh, it blows up the entire, you know, droid <laughs> army ship. Um, and then Jar Jar doing the same thing. Oh, let me scramble up the back of this, you know, uh, chariot thing and release all the little bouncing bombs. And, right, you know, right. Yeah. It, it just, it, it over... It, all of it was just too much. Uh, I didn't need it, and and you you the the volume was too loud, so I couldn't hear the natural drama that was right uh, was going on. Um, right? Weren't we talk? What podcast that, that we were talking about the other day that we were on? We were talking about using festivals as the. We were talking about the Wheel of Time, um, but we were talking about it um, with Silo. We were talking yeah, about right. Yeah, that's podcast. right. It having yeah. Um, you know how they had one of the festivals, I forgot the name of it, but in that show, and that's sort of a good way day. to show culture. And right. so are you, are you going to compare this to pod racing day? Right. Well, it's, but it's, it's a Bunta day, isn't it? So that's oh, why right, the pod right, races right, right, are right. happening because it's Bunta, right. uh, Bunta day. Uh, and well, I never put that together that it's the same holiday that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, what, what's her name? The repair lady at, at, uh. In the Mandalorian. In the Mandalorian, she's yeah, like, "I'm working on Boonta just... Eve." Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, hey, Tatooine, that's the you know big big days. Right. Um, but yeah, using the festival thing, and and this even goes back to you know books like comic books like Tintin and stuff, where oh, the heroes drop in, and oh, it happens to be an eclipse, and that's what's going to save us, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. great. You know, uh, uh, Deus Ex Machina related stuff. Well, Fine. you got. I mean. If if it's like you're planning it around this event that your culture knows, I think that's cool. Like, look at Andor. Look at Andor episode six, where mm-hmm. they're using that festival of lights to right. get through right. the imp- imperial forces unscathed. Right. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, using a cultural event as a way to illuminate cultural values and activities. And then, yeah, the pod racing thing just again felt very contrived to. I like the pod race post post movie marketing. I can I see like the video the pod game. Race. Yeah, it's fine. I get it. I get it. It's fun. you know who did the pod race good was Bad Batch season two. Yeah, yeah, that did. was a good pod race where Goggles was uh, Tech was uh, having to race. That was uh, a really fun episode. Don't speak to me about Tech. <laughs> Are you heartbroken? Is that I'm what's still going on? Okay. Um, yeah. So, by the I, way, did I we like give a spoiler warning scene. at the front of this podcast to make sure that we're spoiling everything of um, <laughs> this episode? Congratulations, you're yes. all spoiled. Yeah, um, I hope you're not listening to this and not be spoiled from a movie from 1999. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. One time, somebody wrote in and didn't like that we spoiled a book that was 60 years old, and I was like, "Man, you are way past the spoiler <laughs> gate <Right>. for that." <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll say now we're going to be talking about. The full oh, prequels, the full <laughs> sequels. Um, I think we'll we'll tiptoe around the um, the Disney Plus series. You know, right. mm-hmm. let's tiptoe around Mandalorian. Let's tiptoe around Andor. Um, but I'm I'm gonna reference them at certain points. Yeah, well, we, we can know? reference without yeah without explicit yeah. yeah yeah fair enough yeah. Anyway, um, uh, chlorians Do you yeah. think good addition, bad addition? I'm on the not, fence. 
not thrilled. I get the need to drive, uh, uh, have a device that that drives it, but you know, my belief was always that it was this energy field, which is mm-hmm. what you know Ben tells us that it um, you could tap into it. So when you have uh, a substance running around in your blood that is genetically uh, predisposed, that gives some people advantage over other people Yeah, as opposed well, to anybody I mean, can access it. Some of us are maybe more emotionally sensitive because it's a trick of there, neurology. There's always been different advantages and disadvantages, right? Like in the original trilogy, Luke Skywalker is much more foreign sensitive than your average guy. Yeah, that's and fine. So I, but I, I think that there was always this hierarchy. I don't think this was ever an egalitarian access to the force society. No. But I agree with you. It, it did not need to be as commodified as it was with midichlorians. Yeah. It, and it felt suddenly very much like a, um, uh, uh, it was an explanation that I didn't need. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you had shown me, you know, and then it sets up the whole prophecy storyline, the one who will bring, mm-hmm. you know, balance to the force. I, I don't know that I needed that either. I would mm-hmm. have been happy if Anakin was just a really powerful force user. And, and that Luke just had the vibe that he could come back to good. Yeah. Because he you just know, believed in his father. Yeah, exactly. That that mm-hmm. all would have been fine for me. I didn't need prophecy. Yeah. But I then didn't... it did lead to one of the best lines of the prequel. You are supposed to bring balance to the Force. <laughs> you are supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. What? Where was that? Uh... That's in Revenge of the Sith. But... Okay, got it. All right. Yeah. You, you, you can't have that line if you don't have the prophecy. I'm okay with the prophecy. I'll be honest. Okay. I don't mind the prophecy. I don't mind midichlorians. It might be because I grew up with them, so neither of them were jarring to me. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think it ruins anything else. I think it's fine where it is. Right. I don't think it adds a lot, but I don't think it ruins anything for me. It feels like the in subsequent years, though, there's really this active steering around it and people just saying, oh, we're just not going to deal with that. We're going to go over here and then we're going to duck down over around over there. And just yeah, the midichlorians have gone out of view, except mm. except in the Mandalorian, there's some midichlorian nonsense going on there, too. Right, right. There with was a, blood a brief reference and whatnot. Mm. Oh, yeah. right, right. Yeah. With uh, yes. Well, we're, we'll, we'll tiptoe around that. Yeah. yeah. That storyline. Yeah. But yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that they just popped it out, oh, and you could test him and he's high on the charts and all of that stuff that felt, yeah, it just felt very, uh, I don't, cynical. There's other things that are cynical in this film. That was just something I didn't need. Uh, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, once it was given to me, I, I was like, I didn't want that. That's not something I, I actually needed. It could have been left mysterious, but now we have a, biological oh he's a you know b positive is his blood type or you know whatever he's got an extra spleen uh, okay that gives him more force powers uh, it, it it cheapened the force for me in in a way you know i'm gonna raise an ethical thing that was raised on the podcast a more civilized age and i love the way they okay. frame this of qui-gon jinn who by the way is one of my favorite jedi I think he most embodies what a Jedi should be out of the Jedi I've seen. Okay. Qui-Gon Jinn is all like, I can't force anyone to make peace, and I can't, I can't just take the ship parts by force. 
Mm-hmm. And I can't take the boy out of slavery by force, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, he first tries mind tricks on yeah. Watto. <laughs> and then later... I got a note about this, yeah. He uses the force to tip the coin to make sure he gets Anakin. Mm-hmm. This guy has some rule bending in his ethics over here. The, What's the point of having this code of I'm not going to do it by force if you're just going to trick someone into giving you what you want anyway? He totally violates Anakin's uh, uh, medical privacy. He takes yeah. his blood without consent yeah. and then he has it tested <laughs> without his cannon. consent. <laughs> He's out of control. <laughs> uh, I mean, it makes sense why the council's all like, you shouldn't be here, Qui-Gon. Right. They were really hostile. I know we're not quite there yet, but there was a lot of hostility there. Yeah, we should we should talk about Qui-Gon's status within the Jedi once yeah. we get there. But right. I overall, what's your impression of Qui-Gon? Good good guy, bad guy, good good character? Yeah, good character. I think it really um again goes to this larger um, character type that we've seen a, a lot. Uh, it's a kind of a Ned Stark, a kind of um, uh, what did what was a uh, what was the king in uh, Viserys? Uh, yeah, Viserys. That's right with Patty Constantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, well-meaning, rule-following, or uh, but oblivious to the realities. I think that's right. the point. Is hey, I, I totally disagree with that take. I'll be honest with you. I in, think in what he regard is very aware. Of okay. the issues with the Jedi way. I think mm-hmm. he, I think you put him in charge. Jedi are allowed to have families. I think Anakin okay. yeah, would maybe have been I able should... to get his mother. I've never really thought deeply about Qui-Gon. So yeah, I think that's a, I think I may, uh, um, I may take your point on this, on, uh, on the pushback. Qui-Gon is the first Jedi in memory mm-hmm. to figure out force ghost stuff because okay. he specifically challenges the idea that there's two versions of the force, the living force and the cosmic force. And once you're in the cosmic force, you can't be an individual. You're just particles, basically. Mm-hmm. You're force particles. He challenges that idea and figures out how to retain his individuality while still being part of the cosmic force. All because he's willing to challenge the Jedi teachings and say, okay, you might have been studying this for a few thousand years, but did you ever question if it was a complete idea, a complete understanding right. of the subject? And I think that Qui-Gon is the most Jedi of all Jedi. He helps someone because he thinks he should, not not just because the Jedi tell him to. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean he does buck the he, he does try to buck the the council. He's trying to think practically and proactively uh, around these things. I guess part of it too is uh, you know, we don't we only have him for two thirds of the movie. Right. And then he's gone. And where else do we have him? And what other, you know, right. in, in what other He'll stuff show up from time him? to time in the Clone Wars, but right. not, uh, not much. I would assume in a lot of the books, uh, he might I don't be know. Um, I know. I actually started a book where it's a prequel book. It's um, Obi-Wan as a teenager. Okay. Under Qui-Gon. And mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty good so far. I haven't finished it, but um yeah Qui-Gon has always been this sort of like mystic Jedi I always think he's like the mystic version of the Jedi uh-huh. uh he shows up in the Mortis arc which is the most mystic of all Star Wars I would say mm-hmm. if you want to like let go of midichlorians and just be like the force is a vibe go yeah. watch the Mortis arc <laughs> okay because that just like undoes 
the whole midichlorian thing basically and that is that's that's clone wars that's clone wars yeah okay it's interesting yeah that what filoni and favreau are doing to try to paper over uh and smooth and putty in these uh these uh cracks and fissures in the in the historical canon and deal with stuff it's yeah yeah they're 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 working on it they're trying to do it uh you know i i mean it's debatable the success rate but yeah, it's interesting, nonetheless. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Coruscant, where we meet Senator Palpatine of Naboo and learn that Padme was Queen Amidala the whole time. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, Padme calls a vote of no confidence for Chancellor Valorum, allowing Palpatine to become Chancellor. The Jedi Council does not want Anakin trained because of his age and vulnerability to the dark side. The Jedi, Anakin, Padme, and Jar Jar all return to Naboo. So this is really where there's a passable movie inside of this uh, mm-hmm. thing, as I was talking about before, the political mach- machinations, it does, the politics it does of the up. council. It yeah. does heat up once you get to Coruscant. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. And there's layers here. You know, the uh, Chancellor uh, Valorum, how Palpatine, you know, you, we see the Senate and we see the Senate in operation. All of that stuff is really interesting and yeah. um really does set up the and constructs the um landscape for all of the other stories that we want to deal with and how yeah. the senate you know ultimately comes to its end and and all of this stuff so yeah i i think um that's where i was the most engaged in this film because there wasn't comic relief characters too too many comic relief characters too many cute kids saying cute lines and all this stuff this was the, the yeah the serious heart of the movie now ian mcdarmid i yeah. would say is the highlight in acting mm-hmm. in this movie i mean he is great as palpatine he is just so creepy but welcoming i mm-hmm. i can't i can't describe it like we as the audience can see the like evil smirk behind the smiling eyes. Right. But, but he's nobody so genuine. Him seems to seems to get it. Right. He he his his acting in terms of, oh, I'm just a senator and it's right. so good to see you, you know, uh, queen and all of that stuff. And um and then we know from you know, you know, Return of the Jedi. Uh, where, you know, when we see the Emperor with lightning bolts coming out of his hands, wait a minute, this is that guy? Whoa, like, how, yeah, did, how yeah. did we get there? Well, That's you cool. You don't remember like Return, Revenge of the Sith very well either, do you? Mm, no. <laughs> There's some it's, lightning coming. Okay. Uh, Sheev, Sheev's going to get his lightning bolts out for you. Fair, you know, fair call. I, you know, once, once uh, Phantom Menace uh, really broke me. I've, I think I've, I don't know if I've ever seen the next two films, uh, credits to credits. Wow. Wow. I've seen parts and pieces of them. I know, but I don't know that I've actually watched them in their entirety. Yeah. Ever. That's Attack of the Clones is Whoa. really rough. Attack okay. of the Clones is really rough. It, there are good parts, but it is, it, some people say it's worse than The Phantom Menace. Uh-huh. I don't know if I agree with that. I think they both have their issues and their pros and cons. But is that the uh, one where like they're in the in the grassy fields? Oh, yes. I want to just love yes. you, and he's got yes, the braid. Absolutely, and it is. Okay, right. um, but I think Revenge of the Sith is a genuinely good movie with a few issues. Right. Okay, and that's you with know? the lava and Darth yep, Vader yep. and in the yeah all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We love it. 
We love well, it. Well, I'm I'm definitely I mean, I'm I, we're not done with this podcast yet, but I I am I'm ready to watch these next two movies. That Me is too. for sure. Me too. We get All Dooku right, uh, and everything. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So let's get back to Naboo. Yeah. On Naboo, the Trade Federation's attack continues. Padme wins the trust of the Gungans and leads them to battle. Anakin is told to hide in a starfighter, but ends up autopiloting it uh, and shooting uh, down the Federation's droid control ship. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have a duel of the fates with Darth Maul, in which Qui-Gon is mortally wounded, and Obi-Wan defeats Maul by cutting him in half. After Qui-Gon makes Obi-Wan promise to train Anakin, the Council promotes him to Jedi Knight and allows him to do so. They reflect on the presence of another Sith Lord, as they are always too. Mm-hmm. This is... Is this the introduction of the rule of two? I mean, I think it is. I think it is. I think it is because we know that there were two in the original trilogy. You had Sidious and Vader. Right. But I think this is where, uh, you know, Lucas goes, yeah, no, this is a rule. This is a hard mm-hmm. rule of two. Right. What do you think about the rule of two, first of all? I, I've never been able to understand its purpose or, uh, you know, I never gave it sort of deeper thought. I've always just accepted it at, at face value. And I should caveat what I'm saying, what its purpose is. I get working from the shadows and not being a big force and counteracting, you know, that I, I get that. Why is it too what what its history is uh, all of that kind of um mechanical operation and the history of it is mm-hmm. is just something i've never looked into that's because i've always just been a surface level yeah. fan in that regard so I, I isn't it there's a lot of it in the books yeah so i never really got it either until mm-hmm. i read the darth bane trilogy okay and that i mean one of the books is called rule of two like it really okay. goes into this he's the guy who instituted the rule of two and Got he did it. it for two reasons. And again, this is non-canon, so take it for what you will. But I think mm. this is the general idea anyway. Darth Bane said, first of all, if we are a present force, if the Jedi know we exist, there will always be a war and we will always be struggling. Okay, that makes sense. The, Much the, easier to work from easier the to, Yeah, hey, yep. there they are. Let's go kill them, right? There's a bunch right. of them, right? But why two? Mm-hmm. That's because it will guarantee that the only Sith are the strongest in the world. Because uh, interesting. if you have an army of Sith, you will always have weaker people right. underneath the stronger. But when you have the rule of two, a master and an apprentice, the apprentice is supposed to kill the master when they surpass them. You always have the strongest two Sith, and it guarantees the strength of the Sith. And then when the new master is looking for their apprentice then you want to find somebody. Uh, yeah, there's a lineage to protect and the mission mm-hmm. sort of to go forward. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to, as you, as the master, that's going to make you stronger because your, your apprentice is always going to be challenging you. And right. you've already, you've, you always have to maintain your sharpness right. because right. you've got this person pushing back on you. Cause at any time you could have a fight to the death. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. I, re- I really like the rule of two. I think it's such a unique thing in Star Wars. It is a cool thing, even if you didn't understand, you know, as in my case, I didn't understand it, it thing. It was like, okay, well, that's cool. I, you know, it works and, and it, yeah. you know, it has cool factor. Yeah. Yeah, so. it does. Um, n- now, the Jedi don't know that uh, Darth Sidious has already violated the rule of two. 
by first of all taking an apprentice before his master was dead. We know that uh, Plagueis was alive. I don't remember the exact over overlap, but there's some overlap with Plagueis being alive while Sidious has a an apprentice. And we have uh, Sidious taking on two apprentices at once. He had Maul and Dooku at a okay. time because he had Maul as a weapon Basically. instead of instead of an apprentice. He told him he was an apprentice, but really he was being used. Right, right. So he's already sense. violating the rule of two. And, you know, here's a Clone Wars spoiler because, you know what, actually, it's we're not going to do spoiler warning for this because we just have to talk about it. Darth Maul <laughs> survives this being cut in half. That's what I thought. I was confused by, by this. He does. Because I, doesn't I he... Think, I think George Lucas always intended for him to survive this. Okay. And it's this idea that the dark side can be used to like preserve your life, right? Okay. It can be mm-hmm. used the hate can keep you alive just mm-hmm. on it itself. And eventually he ends up in like a scrapyard. I guess he got taken out with the trash after he fell into the compactor or whatever. And uh and he gets like robotic legs okay. in, in the junkyard. Right. Uh, for a while he's like a Spider-Man, like he has spider legs and then okay. he, he gets altered to have human-like legs again okay do you do you think that darth maul should have been in more of the movies let's let's actually bring in the comment here from darth revan knowing what the overall story is what is one change you'd make to the phantom menace to enhance the story rocky zim replies i would not kill maul uh, have it so he survives and can continue to be in the movies i have watched the clone wars and rebels and know they have altered his fate so what do you think? Do you do you think they should have not had Maul seemingly die here? I think one of the biggest disappointments of this film when I first saw it was that I didn't know Maul. There were no speaking lines. Obviously, he was a stuntman that was brought in. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. But here is this dramatic face, um, this race that we haven't seen much. Right. The death you know? of Mary. Yep. Yeah. Um, this person who's a badass fighter for sure but there's no there's nothing there we just see him me you know prowling around looking menacing and then you know even during the fight there's no words there's no taunting there's no i will have your soul whatever you know there's just nothing and 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 then he gets cut in half and then i was like what the hell you i had this great build-up in the marketing before this, and then I've got nothing. I've got nothing to understand his motivation. I've got nothing to understand um, uh, what he's capable of besides, you know, wielding a, a dual-bladed, yeah. you know, uh, lightsaber. Uh, so I felt he was radically underused. And then, yeah, I have generally the oh but they're not dead oh there's just glenn crawling out from underneath a dumpster in the walking dead or whatever you know whatever uh show and character you want to point it to don't i i just hate the fake out death and i hate the right, the, right. the 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 oh you got cut in half and fell down a giant shaft but you're not dead i know, I know. it's it is pretty silly <sighs> it's pretty yeah. silly uh, it just it cheapens everything and and it's very disappointing right. and, and it makes things not have stakes. Darth Maul, interesting, interesting character. Give me more. G- have given, please have given me more, right? You know, and so walking out of the Phantom Menace back then, that was a, a one of the big. Dis- 
at least the one cool character they didn't do anything with other than right. have a cool fight scene. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And especially when you have later Sam Witwer takes over the role of Darth Maul in the animated series. And right. he actually ends up playing Darth Maul in Solo, mm-hmm. which has has Darth Maul in it. Does um, it? Oh, my. Lord, yeah, gosh. it does. And he, you never saw it? I saw it, but I don't remember that Darth Maul was okay, in it. Okay, yeah, it's I, he's not in it for very long, but he's but it's it's Sam Witwer as okay. as Maul. Um, and anyway, he's so good at monologuing. He's mm-hmm. so good at just taunting who he's fighting with and sort of leading people down the path to the dark side. And I just wish we got that in the Phantom Menace. You're right; that's what's missing, right? Is right. like a really palpable, you know, pun intended, uh, villain. Yeah. Villain. Um, you know, Palpatine is still in his old man phase. He's still mm-hmm. in his I'm I I'm not going to do anything wrong phase. Right. And while that's cool, I think you needed a a more straightforward conflict. Which is, I'm glad they introduced Dooku in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that perhaps he should have been introduced in this movie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, um, great, great character, uh, poorly used. Yeah. What else can you say? Yeah. So let's talk about Padme bowing to the Gungans, kneeling to the Gungans. Yeah. (laughs) I get the point of making peace and, and apologizing and showing deference and, uh, all of that, it, it was just so one, one, no, I don't know. It was just not complex in any way. And the boss <laughs> yeah. just was like, oh, great. You know, you're, 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 you're showing me proper respect. Cool. Let me go commit my entire civilization, its entire army to this fight. Um, yeah. If, if I'm going to defend it, I would say it's not just the kneeling, it's also her revealing her true identity and trusting them instead of uh-huh. hiding behind her decoy, which she usually does. Right. And I think that the Gungans probably know that the droid army is a bad thing. Sure. And so they kind of just needed an excuse to help defend the planet. Right? Like, regardless of who owns it, regardless, right, own it, owning is a bad word for that, but regardless of who's governing the planet, Mm-hmm. I think that the Gungans understand that the F- Trade Federation is not their friend. Right. And of it's, course, Padme helps integrate the Gungans into Nabulian society afterwards. And, you know, we know that Jar Jar ends up being the senator from Naboo, which is right. a big difference. Right. Yeah, it's there's there's a lot of um, interesting politics and questions of species and and co uh, codependence on a on a on a you know, on a planet on that ecosystem that just all get entirely washed over uh yeah. by the the ridiculous and comical nature of, of the gungan society stuff so yeah it's it's yeah. tough it's tough stuff anakin so, shooting yeah. down the droid battle the battle droid control ship yeah yeah Kind of silly, silly. Um, uh, 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 yeah, I, I just don't want to. I, I feel <laughs> I don't want this podcast to me be just about complaining about the movie. It was, it, it was for a target audience to, yeah, to yeah. En- enroll them into the. the yeah, thing. I thought it was fun. 
it was a fun moment. And he's like, oopsies. Yeah, oopsies, yeah. whatever. And then, the you know, they, they lose their giant hotspot and everybody loses, you know, <laughs> their, their connectivity, uh, you know, the droids. Whatever, you know, again, Jar Jar doing all this accidental stuff. It, it, um, it just cheapens, uh, um, it cheapens the stuff relative to Qui-Gon and, and uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul where there's serious stakes involved. And here we have this, you know, um, accidental, oops, I'm, I'm accidentally dead, but it must be the force must be moving within, you know, to, to guide my hands. Is there a spabimi in, uh, in this world? I, I put that in our feedback, so we'll get okay. to it. <laughs> okay, uh, perfect. Roger, Roger. As far as the only other thing I wanted to talk about was Obi-Wan agreeing to train Anakin. Right. This is... You know, we, we've we talked about, uh, I forgot who sent it in the Discord, so my apologies, but somebody sent us a video about the Duel of the Phage and Filoni talking about what it meant to the Star Wars universe, the fact that Anakin really needed this father figure in Qui-Gon and really needed someone who was more balanced in his approach to the Force, whereas Obi-Wan was more of a brother to him, and Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan's a lot more of a purist when it comes to the Force, right? He is in line with the Jedi Council. Mm-hmm. In its in its approach, its very rigid approach to being a Jedi, you know, follow the rules to a T. Uh, they play with that a little bit later by suggesting he had an affair, but right. other than that, other than that, uh, he really is a, a, a purist, a Jedi purist. Do you think that they sold you on the importance of this duel? That they named the duel of the fates in the soundtrack? Yeah. I, I, d- I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's it was the one cool action scene. Um, and Duel of the Fates, the you know the interesting thing of Darth Maul prowling while Obi Wan or uh, um, Qui Gon meditates, and you know uh, uh, Obi Wan trapped back and you know anxious, and then he has to avenge his master. So it. It sets up a bunch of character moments that, uh, for me, just don't ever end, end okay. up being played out properly or having enough room to breathe. It was suddenly it was over, and then I've got a nine year old blowing up a, a droid ship, right? So, yeah. tonally, ba- it was out of balance with everything okay. else in this movie. I like this part. I'll I'll yeah. be the counterpoint here. I, I liked this because I think that they really sold me even the first time I watched it. Maybe because okay. I was like probably like 10. But anyway, even the first time I watched it on this is a kid who is already on a learning curve because he's starting late. And now he has a brand new Jedi Knight mm-hmm. teaching him how to be a Jedi mm-hmm. who is really not prepared and has shown himself to be really young and still needing guidance throughout this well- movie. And that's what I thought interesting was in that setup moment of seeing Obi-Wan back there um, waiting for the the field, uh, the force field things to open up. He's pacing and as antsy as Darth Maul is yeah. where uh, Qui-Gon is chill, meditate, center myself, control right. my emotions so that I can be clear eyed in the fight. Obi-Wan is not clear eyed. Right. He is he is anxious and and motivated by emotion and yeah that that ultimately plays out doesn't it in in the relationship with Anakin right. uh, in in Anakin's training, right? Yeah. Well, let's see where Obi-Wan is when we next see him in Attack of the Clones where we jump forward a number of years. 
Uh, question: Did have we really talked about the Jedi Council much? And then let's, that let's very talk f- about it a little bit. Uh, that uh, very famous line of "Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering." Yeah, I uh, I think that's right as far as this universe goes. You know, this mm-hmm. this is uh, it's. I think we've talked about in another one of our podcasts, but I can't remember which one about how it is easier to feel anger than grief. Mm-hmm. And so Anakin is already predisposed to be angry and then to hate and then to cause suffering because he's lost his mother at such a young age. Right. Because he's lost contact with her. Um, it's still not clear why <laughs> Qui-Gon couldn't have come back with some gold or the equivalent and gotten Shmi right afterwards. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, he, I, right? know, I know. Watto <laughs> doesn't accept Republic credits, but what an asshole for not going back and getting. I guess they the point is. Yeah, I they could have the quickly turned is, around. The Naboo, you know, uh, they could have got some money from them. And I got to hit know, the ATM, patent. Annie, and then we'll go back and get your mom. Yeah, like real quick, right? <laughs> you know, you're the most powerful force. If you're going to use mind control, you know, if you're going to try mind control. What's the matter of just going in there with a couple of blasters, regardless of a couple of treasures of, you know, tr- a couple of cases of treasure? Yeah, I believe the the canon reason that they didn't get me is that I guess Padme eventually goes back to get Shmi free and Shmi was already married off to her new husband. OK, so she didn't want to go at that point. OK, I don't know how true that can be. Right. You know, because that's not really supported much. I can only go with what they tell me in the movies. I don't want people right. to to go, you know, George right. Lucas says Ma- this, right? Making up a bunch of headcanon for, yeah. Right. Uh, too much of the of the world. Um, but then about back to the, the council, this is a, as big and as unwieldy as the uh, galaxy is. We have the Jedi Council, who is seemingly out of touch and as politically sensitive um, as anything. Yes. Uh, they don't. They want to maintain this position of power. They don't want to be extending themselves, and that ultimately ends up having them fighting a war, which they really weren't meant to do anyway, right. as I understand. It. Yes, They're supposed to be uh, these little pinpoints out there of the world of just creating stability and resolving conflict. Palpatine's full goal is to bait the Jedi into a war and mm-hmm. then blame them for it. Right. Well, it worked. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, obviously, I, the story. That, that's know. one of the things that I think works the best in the prequels is it really shows the Jedi playing themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, really just, you know, their fear leads to anger. Okay. You fear the separatists. <laughs> right. And uh, you, you are now going to go fight them. Anger leads to hate. Now you hate Count Dooku. There's actually a subplot where they try to assassinate Count Dooku for a time. Mm, right. um, that's that's in one of the novels, so you'll have to go a little deeper for that one. But still, right. it's a canon well, novel. They, with their their treatment of Ahsoka, you, yeah, you know, they're very yeah. very happy to stitch her up and and yeah. hang her out to dry. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, the council here is clearly there's a there's a corruption at their their core which allows the sith to be able to uh exert some kind of control and influence in the galaxy right it's so. this rigid adherence to quote unquote the light side mm-hmm. that clouds their judgment and forces them to and and, and 
miss it forces them to miss the dark side and mm-hmm. even within themselves there's actually a really great clone wars arc that i would recommend i believe it's the finale of season six mm-hmm. i could be wrong but uh it's this yoda arc where he has to learn how to qui-gon wants him to learn how to become a force ghost right because why not and he has to go to this planet where he confronts these sort of force illusions and one of these illusions is himself, and he has to admit that there is dark side in him, that he's arrogant to a point. Mm-hmm. And that is such a big character moment for Yoda, but also for the Jedi Council as a whole. I think that mm-hmm. the Jedi Council failed to recognize its own arrogance, and Yoda in the Clone Wars did recognize this, but it was too late. You know, it mm-hmm. was right at the end of the Clone Wars. Things were already too late. Bad things were already in, underway. Right, right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Also, I just got to say, Mace Windu is an asshole. He's the worst of them. <laughs> Absolutely awful to a child and continues to be and probably is is not a little reason why Anakin turns to the dark side. And and here here's a big part of, of this is what if all these what if moments? What if Qui-Gon hadn't died? What if... Right the council were a little bit more chill and they're like, okay, this is the most powerful kid. We kind of have to train him because he's powerful. You know, he's going to get scooped up by the dark side or fall into the dark side. Right. You know, all these millions of different things that could have, what if, um, yeah. And it's painful to watch them knowing what we know. Um, yeah. Well, what if we take a break? That sounds like a good plan to me. And we're back. David, let's chat quickly about sort of the place in the Star Wars universe that this this is, you know? Okay. Where is this in the Star Wars legacy? Hmm. How do we contextualize it? Um, It caps off the run of three movies, which everyone has a very difficult time dealing with, (laughs) right? (laughs) And has to navigate around. It certainly sets up Lucas for uh, the Disney sale, right? The purchase mm-hmm. by uh, the Star Wars franchise, uh, uh, Disney. Oh, the fandom bullied him out of his own franchise. Let's yeah. just be honest about it. Well, because of these three movies, right? Uh, sure, but- and it, and this is what this is the the, the start of of his demise. In, in I, I I still wish George Lucas were involved in Star Wars still. I'll be uh-huh. honest. I, I really like George Lucas. I think he had his faults, but I think I think after the prequels, I think he knew more of his weaknesses. Okay. You know? Um, and you know, not unlike the Jedi Council, the 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 Star Wars franchise is myopic in a certain way. And I, I think there's a there's a strength there has been a stranglehold on the creativity and and what is possible because of a core adherence to Something I don't know what it is, but they certainly it's the I mean, Skywalkers. Let's be honest; they just yeah, want and, the Skywalkers, and right? And and uh, what that legacy that that they're trying to preserve, as represented, you know, Kathleen Kennedy uh, is the captain of the ship in in that regard still, and has been at the the center of things for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this movie is the was a long anticipated 
movie. We were all super excited for it. And it was such a painful crash into a, a brick wall or whatever metaphor you want to use, just a, a, a very upsetting, traumatizing experience. Boy, this is a, a fun podcast, David. <laughs> I know. It, it really is. It's tough. Um, trying not to be, I'm trying not to be negative. I'm trying to be you know, critical without being a, a critic. I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough subject. It's a tough subject, man. <laughs> well, I'll say I, I didn't watch this movie for a number of years after first seeing it because, because basically I grew up and the common idea was the second two prequel movies are passable. The first one is garbage. Right. And I didn't watch it for a number of years because of that. And when I was watching The Clone Wars, I said, let me really give this a fair shake again. Mm-hmm. And honestly... I don't think it's a, a terrible, terrible movie. I think it's mm-hmm. fine. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's a, a masterpiece. I think it does a lot of setup right, and it does a lot of execution wrong. I'm glad that the lore that it established exists. I can agree with all that entire assessment. Um, knowing what I know now and where I am now as a podcaster, um, as a casual fan who you know who has the, has the nostalgia of '77. Yeah, I think we we of that that cadre probably just need to get over the fact that this movie, as you say, had flaws in execution, but the setup was very important. Yeah, and you know what? In A New Hope, Luke kisses his sister. It's not all perfect. <laughs> just throw that in your in our faces, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got Harrison Ford saying you can type this shit, but you can't say it. I mean, right. George Lucas was never writing good dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's I think you summed it up. I think you summed it up um, is that, yeah, the movie has flaws, but then the, there's this core importance uh, to the wider universe. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some listener feedback here. Sounds like a good plan. Marilyn wrote in to say, do you find the arc traced in Anakin's character from a young boy to Darth Vader and back to the Jedi returned believable? Do you find his his journey believable mm-hmm. from young boy, Darth Vader, back to Jedi? Uh, are we dealing only in the movies here or are we taking into account? Let's that do the movies a... only for this. Okay. Um, whew. Yeah. I can say, yeah, I think so. I, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm, try, I'm searching my feelings, um, <laughs> and my feelings don't uh, don't feel uh, bad in that regard. I think the thing, and we've talked about this before in the past, that that Luke's Luke believing in love and reaching out to his father, knowing that they're still good inside him. That's powerful. That's interesting. That is a great character moment. There's a great, you know, the great character moment of of discovering who his father is. That's mm-hmm. great stuff. Seeing Darth Vader in Rogue One just wrecking shop. That's great stuff. So yeah, you know, not having seen Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in a long time, it's hard for me to construct the answer. But yeah, I think overall, I think it's a good arc. Uh, okay. And it's a it's a redemptive. There's a redemptive arc. There's a lot of people who pay a lot of a big price for for uh, Anakin's uh, uh, redemption. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I buy it. I'm I'm into it. What I love about it is Luke heals 
Vader with love, which is the very thing mm-hmm. that, by its denial, turned him to the dark side. Agreed. Him having to deny love, deny the existence of his family, is exactly what turned him to the dark side. And his son's love, the result of that relationship, mm-hmm. and this familial love, is what brought him back to the light. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's really powerful. And that's what yeah. I'm saying is these these big beats of the story work. They do. Uh, I agree. The, it's the micro execution that is right. that is lacking. Um, and I think it gets better over the trilogy. So let's hope that we enjoy it more on the next run. Yeah. The, the idea that um, this immaculately concepted child who has this overabundance of love then it's soured because of this stricture and this dogmatic teaching of the Jedi sets him up. Yeah, it's, that's all really great stuff. All yeah. really interesting. So, yeah. Alicia writes in. We got we got the whole Lorehounds family writing in. But Alicia <laughs> writes in and says one thing. I'm sure you're ta- going to talk about anyway. Uh, how was watching the Clone Wars? How has watching the Clone Wars changed the way you view even this film? set earlier in the timeline, but with the same characters. You've watched I, some of the Clone Wars, a little bit a, of it, David. A little bit, yeah. And then I've, I've been trying to get, get in on the Rebels stuff. I, I, I think this is where, when we talk about the, the, our decision as podcasters to say, okay, let's go, Star Wars, there's interesting content right now, good shows that are, good, that are fun to talk about and interesting to talk about. Let me, as the, you know, uh, uh, the, the fan that I have been, let me go explore this world a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, having the animated shows as a resource really helped me watch this film now and contextualize it and, and enjoy it in a, in a new way. Uh, in, in these major beats as, as we're talking about what, what's the good of this movie mm-hmm. is this bigger setup stuff. And so yeah. having the animated uh, stories as that resource to help me. Yeah. They're, they're definitely, uh, in conversation with each other. Yeah. Um, I've watched the whole Clone Wars. Yeah. I loved it. There were some, yeah. there were some not great moments either. Let's not sure. pretend the Clone Wars are perfect, but I think that it really did expand the characters, especially the Anakin Padme relationship quite mm-hmm. a lot. There's actually some, troubling things that happen in the Anakin Padme relationship at certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Anakin shows signs of possessiveness and even kind of abusive tactics, mm-hmm. um, which I do think adds a layer to this relationship. You know, I, I do think that that deepens this idea that this wasn't a, a coin flip. This wasn't him just flipping to the dark side. This was a journey to the dark side over a number of years. Mm hmm. And that is what really makes this work better for me is watching these moments of darkness, watching Anakin choose to for- force choke someone in the Clone Wars um, when he when he needs to know where I think he does that for when he's interrogating people on where Ahsoka is, you know, mm-hmm. um, these temptations of the dark side that he just gives into a little bit more slowly and slowly. And then and then eventually it just tips, you know, it's it's sort of like the water overflowed rather than somebody flipped a switch on. Right. And I think that that's what the Clone Wars did for me. It made that arc feel more gradual, made the relationship between Padme and, and Anakin feel more genuine. 
Uh, and it got Jar Jar laid. So, you know, we love that. <laughs> and we love what that did for his character arc. Um, one thing that I am disappointed for uh, is Hayden Christensen recently came out and said nobody asked him to play Anakin in the Clone Wars. And okay. he probably would have. So, yeah. I, I wish he, I wish he had, you know, I like Matt, Matt Lanter. I think he did a great job in the Clone Wars, but it would have mm. been nice to have a uniform voice for Anakin going. Right. Right. You know, and, and I know that in some of the foreign language dubs, they do have the same actor for okay. film and animated Anakin. And uh, I, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's get to Darth Revan. We already used his question before, but we didn't really answer. We just used Rocky Zim's reply. So here's his question again. Knowing what the overall story is, what is one change you'd make to the Phantom Menace to better enhance the story? David? Um. It, I, we talked about it before. Uh, make Anakin a bit older. I think that's right. I think that's yeah. the biggest change. Because uh, then the Jar love Jar, story. That's another one. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if we're going to make small changes, uh, you did. You still needed a Gungan uh, interface. You know, somebody to to yeah, translate yeah. that that relationship. Um, that said, I think if Anakin had been a little bit older, twelve, thirteen, and he suddenly sees. Uh, Padme, he's like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. And then he's got his mom and, you know, there's that conflict and I got to leave my mom because I'm going to go off with this woman that I'm suddenly in love with and I've never realized that I've been in love with a, could have been in love with a woman before. That's interesting. Um, right. Yeah. So I think that would have given me a lot more interest in the story, that aspect of the story. And I think that would have lifted up the whole film a little bit more. Yeah. I would also say do a better job of telling the Trade Federation origin story because it is very hard to grasp yeah. when you first watch it. I understand it now because I watched seven seasons of The Clone Wars, and I still don't <laughs> fully understand it. I just understand it a little better. Right. And yeah, they, they really should have done a better job of telling that story. And also, <laughs> don't use that accent, guys. Just don't right. use it. It's not good. Just, just it's be problematic. Straight. Yeah. 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 Uh, Doove 71, uh, always Doof. around, always sending in great feedback. Uh, my biggest question to pose is, was it the right narrative decision to start a story of Anakin as a small boy? We got a lot of common thoughts. Oh, here. well, here we go. Yeah, uh, I is. remember really bumping up against the oops line during the climactic scene mm -hmm, mm -hmm. battle where uh, Anakin accidentally fires a torpedo inside the droid control ship. Yep. Lore up to this point has told us that Anakin was the best star pilot Obi-Wan had ever seen. Right. Oops, kind of put the final nail in the mech coffin when I first saw it. Even a young adolescent Anakin of 13, 14 years old would have been more believable. Discuss. I, I didn't read Doove's comment before my comment, so there we go. Um, take my word on it, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah I, something else that made me think of it, a Anakin treats 3PO like dirt. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't finish you. Bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, I didn't put I mean, pants on you. I'm out. It's it's a kid forgetting about his toy, right? I mean, oh, man. it's very common. Uh, talk about droid droidism. You know how we we treat our droids and droids' rights and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, it gets really treated like like garbage. Yeah, Marilyn had a great reply to do though. Uh, she writes, "My recollection is that Lucas's key intention was making uh, in making the prequels was to explore how something as evil as Darth Vader had been quote created." Yeah, yeah, I think he wanted to show that everyone, however evil, had started off as a child, even a pure child. Mm. As Lucas would say, think of all the other children that show up in The Phantom Menace. 
he really wanted to emphasize that theme. And I think that was why he chose to make our first experience of Anakin that of a nine-year-old boy. I agree that oops is very much a child's comment. I also agree that he had those super capabilities even at that age, but if nothing else, he was learning a new dashboard and he simply pushed the wrong button, or so he thought. Again, if memory serves, he was trying to obey Qui-Gon and go back to the hangar, not destroy the droid control ship. However, to cross my galaxies, it's a lovely example of Spibimi, uh, which she <laughs> is, uh, shall go. prove but, but mine uh, <laughs> instrument. Instrument. I don't know why my brain is not working tonight. It's right. getting late. But she'll prove but mine instrument. And as, as Marilyn clarifies, uh, this is the Prancing Pony podcast term for good coming out of evil. It's sort of like God's plan, or in this case, the Force's plan. Right. Which is, you know, the, 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 uh, Smee was, you know, immaculately concepted by, you know, oh, Anakin. That, oh, we didn't even talk about that. Like, is Anakin an immaculate conception? Right. Yeah. We don't know. Right. It's not the, really the established now, is it? And then did the midichlorians, you know, do this on their own? Why didn't the Jedi Council feel a disturbance in the Force? There's all kinds of problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's this, it's yeah. very strange that part. I don't know why he needed to be. Jesus. <laughs> I, really, really not necessary. Not necessary. Yeah. Uh, you know, prophecy and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I do like Marilyn's point of, you know, something pure and innocent as a child uh, corrupted. And I think at puberty, that would have been a more interesting story because he's coming yeah. out of his purity of heart. Suddenly, the, 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 the changes one has physiologically at that age and then how that translates into the world and into hum- into relationships with other people, uh, people being all species here in, in, in the Star Wars galaxy, um, and what that does and how we deal with it. That's that yeah. there is there is something yeah. that's interesting, right? So Danny is our last piece of feedback. He writes okay. in and says, "I still have never been more excited about anything as when this was coming out." Getting new Star Wars after so long was far yes. from guaranteed to ever happen. Yep. I'll never forget the first time watching the trailer and seeing the battle droids coming out of the fog on Naboo. Chills. This represented the end of a lot of things for me. The last time I ever stood in line for hours to get movie tickets. Mm-hmm. The last time I collected every single action figure, etc. By the time Attack of the Clones came out, I was 23 and a dad. Yeah, um, I was not very conscious when it came out. You know, I was uh, just a few <laughs> years old when The Phantom Menace came out. But I've heard that it was quite the experience for Star Wars fans. I've heard even that people were trying to get it to beat out Titanic in the box office. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, it would take George, James Cameron to do that to himself. But yeah, I guess I guess people really wanted Star Wars to be the new Titanic. Yeah, and, and we wanted to, a lot of us who were 77 fans, we wanted to re- live that moment and have right. that nostalgia and the fun of standing around in these, you know, uh, lines around the block. I mean, it was right. fun. It was cool. It was, you felt like you were part of something, uh, going to a great concert and everybody's focused in on the same thing. Right. And star Wars being this, uh, unique piece of, of cultural, uh, resonance that it's, spoke to you in ways that you didn't know you could be spoken to. Um, and 
we all wanted that again. And then to have gotten what we got was a real hard and uh, emotionally challenging experience. Well, now that we've established that this was your favorite movie in the Star Wars saga, <laughs> um, I think it's time to thank our patrons. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you're we're, you're, you're uh, grabbing, you're using the big hook to pull people I am. Pull I'm, I'm, I'm taking the forcibly hook. Forcibly <laughs> ending this. Exactly. Fair enough. Before they throw some tomatoes at you. Exactly. Well, thanks everyone for hanging through all of this. <laughs> and thank you to our... Patreon supporters, everyone who is a supporter, it's uh, uh, very important. It helps us keep the lights on here at Podcast Central. To our lore masters, Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, Joyce E, and Andra B. Thank you all so very much for being lore masters and for your continued support. We are coming up on a one-year anniversary. We have a very cool sticker that we're going to send out to everyone who is a subscriber at the end of July. Thank you, Marilyn, and and all the other uh, uh, folks who helped us uh, get this designed and translated. We'll post some stuff about it uh, soon. But we would love, if you've been thinking about being a Patreon supporter, we would love to have your support to break the 100 subscriber count uh, in uh, celebration for our one-year anniversary of podcasting. So, John, programming notes for this month and next. What do you got? Well, we just dropped, at the time of this recording, we just dropped our discussion of Mrs. Davis, the full series the one one season limited series uh just in from discord on the mrs davis channel eon says great discussion one of the best pods you've done oh wow uh high praise oh so uh uh, thank you thank you um anyway (laughs) check that out because apparently uh it's a hit yeah it's a happy yeah that's me and marilyn and uh, i think we had a great discussion we talked primarily about the themes and about the influences of real life things uh one of the things that Eon liked was the discussion of bridal mystics, which is a okay. wild concept that Marilyn introduced me to. So hope everyone checks that out. Um, you also just did a Spider-Man Across the Universe review yep. with John and Alicia. Yep. Uh, so we've got our side projects now, you know? I, you, you've got your guys, I've got my guys, and, uh, <laughs> and we're doing it. Um, Second Breakfast just dropped as well for patrons. Uh, that was a lot of fun. We did a lot of discussion sort of the first half of the year in TV. In um, uh, we did uh, Studio Ghibli's, I guess Ghibli. It's a it's a matter of debate, but mm-hmm. but I I think it's been settled. But I'm still going to say Ghibli. Um, mm-hmm. My neighbor Totoro. We talked about, and that was cool. If you want more Star Wars, we'll be talking about Visions Volume Two later this month. And one more note: uh, we have the book nook with Marilyn Arpukila. We're going to be talking about the Farthest Shore, the third book in the Earthsea cycle. Uh, later this month as well so keep posted on that on alicia's feed on wool shift dust we have her coverage of silo every week she's covering the apple tv plus mystery box show that is really great it just got renewed for season two the show is keeping me hooked every week the world building is great the production is great the acting is incredible 
Uh, we were also on her feed. If you want to hear our thoughts on it, uh, you can check out uh, the podcast that we did crossover with her if you want to hear our thoughts on Silo. So check that out in the show notes if you want more. And of course, you could always check the show notes for our Discord server if you want to keep chatting with us. David, it's been a pleasure talking Star Wars with you. Next month, we're going to be doing Attack of the Clones. Yes. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next month. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>